Um, we're going somewhere. I, I don't know if you can feel that. We're going somewhere. Uh, and it's, it's, there, this is an open invitation uh, to, join, to join in this uh, journey. You know, we got a mountain in the distance we're going to climb. And we want you to join us. We want you to go. But you got to make that choice. Um, we can't drag anybody along. It's got to be you, you know. My kids want me to carry them until they're way older than I'm able to carry them. Nope, you got to walk. You have to walk on this journey. Steve said that uh, this is the final week of our prayer, uh, spirit prayer initiative. And my mom said, wait, is this the final week of the Holy Spirit series? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have got a lot more to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a lot more to say to you. Um, a couple years ago, we were on the mission trip that uh, Steve was praying about in Mexico. And where we are in Mexico, everybody rides scooters, you know, kind of like the rest of the world, because they don't have two inches of ice here around. And, uh, and they are required to wear these helmets that are like, basic, it's basically a piece of Tupperware with two straps. So like if you really get an accident, there's nothing, you could eat cereal out, at, out of it, put it on your head. There's really nothing it's going to protect you from. Uh, so they got to put these straps on and they go, but most of them don't put straps on. They just let it hang down. So, you know, the, the straps are flying in the breeze and the helmet's going to go flying as soon as they hit anything. But they're good drivers. I mean, everybody's good drivers. The, the Americans are always the ones that causes the accidents, cause the accidents over there. And, and so I've seen a few of them. And every time it's like, oh, yep, there's an American tourist, you know, that rented themselves like a dune buggy or something and then didn't know what was going on and crashed into somebody. But I did see one time uh, an accident between two locals. And what was going on is this, uh, and I mentioned this a few years ago, but I, God was telling me, this is a good illustration for what you're talking about. So you're going to hear it again. This car, this, this guy in a scooter, straps flying, Tupperware in his head, is going down the street. He's heading this way. And uh, at this cross street comes a truck. And he must, a guy with the helmet, the Tupperware, must have been looking sideways. And he didn't see it. And he just nailed the truck in the intersection. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, God put us here to help him. I get CPR, how do you, you know, all that stuff. You know, I'm like, you know, you heard this thunk. Everybody stops. The guy who driving the truck stopped. The, everybody stopped except for the guy on the scooter. He, this is the w wildest thing. He's going along, hits the truck, gets knocked sideways, and then he just keeps going this way. Like, like wherever he was going no longer mattered. And I don't know, it was probably because that was the way to the hospital, and he's like, I got to get there now. But whatever it was, it had changed his direction in an instant. And God is calling us to do that same thing. Some of you have been in a relationship with God for decades, and it's been these like small incremental steps of growth. And God, it, there are times, you can read about this in the beginning of the book of Colossians, there are times where God hits us with a spiritual truck, and it changes our direction, which means that today, like today, your life can be going in a different direction than it was when you woke up this morning because of the power of the Spirit. Just as I am, let's, let's, let's call it a day. I mean, that's, that's good to know. That's good to know because some of you are like, you know, my life isn't super awesome. And it can be better because of the power of the Spirit. Some of you are like, I'm perfectly happy where I am. The reason I have been making tiny little incremental steps is because I'm a little bit nervous about where God may take me. Let me just reassure you that it is risky, but it is always better. It's always better, and sometimes it does involve hitting a truck. Um, the, this passage we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. Um, it's a prayer. 
The uh, author is a guy named Paul who had a pretty good idea of the power of the Spirit. And so he wrote stuff like this. And it's so good. You, you, I mean, you guys have read it before and you've been like, oh yeah. In fact, those of you that like to highlight your Bible, I'm almost certain this is highlighted in your Bible because you've been like, yeah, that's, I like that. I'm going to come back to that later. We're going we're gonna to deal with it right now. Ephesians 3, 14. Um, for this reason, Paul writes, and he's writing to this group of people that he loves and wants to know Jesus better. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit, through his Spirit in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, that Christ love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So good, right? That's so good. We literally could have ended the sermon twice now on a really high note because that was, that's super good. I, uh, you know, as you study for sermons, you like to know, well, what do other part, smart people think about some of these verses? I want to know what other just really wise individuals think about. And so I happen to have a commentary, which is, you know, a theologian writes a book about a book and you read it and you get his ideas about that book. So I pulled my Ephesians commentary off my shelf and I opened it up and what was written uh, about this passage, I'm going to share with you because it's ridiculous. This is what he writes. This is a guy named E.K. Simpson. Listen to this. He says, uh, after reading this prayer, he says, Of such transcendent intercession as this, offered on bended knee by such a suppliant, it seems well nigh impertinent to indict an annotation. You can see where he's going with this, right? No, because we don't know half these words. He says, comparable to some heavenly breeze set in motion by the Spirit of the Lord, it sweeps across the Aeolian, I looked it up, that's how you pronounce it, Aeolian harp strings of the Apostle's soul, waking chords of celestial music of unearthly beauty and superlative grandeur, to which it beseems us to give audience in expressive silence, rather than mar the strain by the incongruity of a fumbling accompaniment. It is such passages that inspiration rises to its full stature. I only had to read that like 12 times to like, what is this guy? I literally had to look up multiple words in there. Because what this guy is saying, the translation of what this guy is saying about what Paul said, he's like, it's really good. And there's not much you can add to it. It's just really good. That's what he's saying with all those flowery words. He had to show off that PhD he had in vocabulary uh, in, this, in this commentary. And even for a commentary, so those of you that I don't like to read books about the Bible, well, even, <laughs> even for a commentary, for those of us that like that, this is a little much. Like, he needs to tone it down a little bit because I have no idea half of what he's saying. Uh, Aeolian means relating to the wind somehow, so he's, you know, whatever. Good, good for you. But he's basically saying it's just really good, and he's right. It's really good. It's a really good verse, uh, a really good passage um, of Scripture. So I want to draw your attention to a thread of thought that Paul repeats throughout this passage. And I am hopeful, if my prayers uh, to God are going to be answered, that we will walk out today having been hit by a truck and our direction in our lives changed. Ephesians chapter 3. 
Verse 14. Let's go back to the beginning of this prayer. He says for this. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father. So, so Paul is well-known, well-spoken, generally well-regarded individual. And he's praying for these, these, this, this church And he says, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So this is an ancient practice to, uh, you may not know this, but the kids get the dad's last name. Did you know that, right? That's changing in our society. So that may be different than what, I know you know it. But anyway, that kids get the dad's last name because they they belong to that dad. And I know patriarchy, it's all changing, whatever. But at this point, in this time, what Paul's writing, this is a good thing. Because he's speaking to a room full of, a, a literally a living room where they were meeting. They didn't meet in buildings like this because they would get chased out of town a lot of times. So they'd meet in somebody's living room. And he was, he was writing to a living room full of racially, ethnically, and culturally diverse people. And he's like, you guys, we're all on the same team. God is our dad. We all have his last name, all right? This is really important that we all realize that we're all in this together. We don't separate. We don't create separate churches for different ethnic and, and cultural subcategories. That's what the enemy wants us to do to separate. God brings together. And so we don't distinguish between one another's value based on these things. We're all God's children, right? We're all God's children. Well, I'm the firstborn. No, Jesus is the firstborn. The rest of us are just like the little siblings running around, but we we all matter. My uh, sister-in-law and my my brother and sister-in-law visited us yesterday, uh, drove in from from out of town, and uh, I I guess I can't say that because I think that's illegal to do in our state right now, but anyway, they did, and uh, they have... How many kids do they have? Eight? Eight children? Crane left the room. They have eight children. Eight children. And so I'm talking to one and I'm like, hey, Matthew, how are you doing? Good to see you. And like, you know, how's, the, how's school? How's, how's life? And Matthew goes, uh, my name's Levi. And I'm like, oh, sh- sorry, buddy. Like, you know, there are just, there's just a bunch of them. That's all of us. We're just all valuable before God. We're all God's children, all right? Even if we, God can't always remember all our names. He does, though. God can do it. Sin wants to pull us apart. God wants to pull us together. All right, that's the setup. Ephesians 3.16. This is what he says. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, if we believe God is powerful and mighty and glorious and worthwhile, that you would be strengthened, um, you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit. Power through his spirit in the inner self. So power and spirit. You always see these, these two together in the Bible. You see power and spirit, power and spirit, power and spirit. They always show up together. They show up p- parties together. If you see them driving somewhere, it's always power and spirit. In the scripture, it's so often they're together. Uh, and so if you read the Hebrew scriptures, what we often call the Old Testament, but the, the First Testament, the early uh, ancient scriptures, you'll see this all over the place, um, the, the power and the spirit. I, well, I'll go there in a second. Because when, when, when I was taught about the Spirit, I was often taught that the Spirit, the sermons would start something like this. Today we're going to preach about the, the Holy Spirit of God, and then this, the three points would be like, well, the Spirit does not do this, the Spirit does not do that, and the Spirit does not do that other thing. And so you'd walk out of the room, you'd be like, okay, I know what the Spirit does not do, according to you, but what does the Spirit do? What does the Spirit do? You'd be strengthened with power th- through the Spirit in your inner self. I was taught that the Spirit was like the queen of england what does the queen do well she she queens that's what the queen does they do they do queenly things they 
They, they preside over things. They're, they're in charge. Okay, yeah. So Caleb was telling me after the first service, he's like, well, actually, uh, the queen has been, she's been given the role of being in charge of like the royal military, the royal navy, the royal army. Is that right? Something like that? Yeah, she's been, she's been re-given that because her son and daughter-in-law decided they were going to move to L.A. So the queen is now in charge of the royal military. Okay, sure. Yeah, the queen is going to be in a tank with a helmet on her head charging into battle. No, no, there's other people that do that. She's the figurehead. She's important somehow, but we don't know exactly what she does. She just presides somehow over things. And I was taught that the Spirit was like that. The Spirit was important, but we don't know really what He does. It's kind of a mystery. Let's focus on God. We're not really talking about the Spirit because people that really get into the Spirit start doing wacky stuff, and we don't want to have anything to do with that, so let's just focus on God. Like the Spirit was one of those job titles that people sometimes give instead of a raise, you know? Where you're, you're now the assistant director of facilitating or something like that. And you're like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. Does it pay more? No, nah, not at all. <laughs> In fact, it might pay less. You know, you get these new jobs. Like the Spirit has a job title, but we don't know what the Spirit does. So here's a theological claim. You ready for this? Theological claim. In the Bible, what we see of the Spirit, what we read about the Spirit, is that the Spirit does things. The Spirit does stuff. In the Bible, the Spirit does stuff. All through Scripture. If stuff is done by God, it's the Spirit. So let me give you an example. In, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, Moses, you know Moses. We all like Moses. He seems like a great guy. We've made lots of movies about him. Moses, after all those movies, he's in the wilderness. He's leading all these people through the wilderness. They're hating every minute of it. They don't think they have the right food. They don't think they have enough food. They don't like it's too hot and it's too cold. And it's just, they're miserable. And they're constantly whining at Moses. And Moses literally prays to God. And he's like, God, I'm stressed out. I'm working 120 hours a week. I'm listening to all these whiny people all the time and it's driving me nuts. And he literally says, if this is how my life is going to be, please just kill me right now. That's what he says. I don't know if, if any of you have ever had a job like that where you're like, you know what, if, if, I, I think I'd just rather die. But that's what Moses says after seeing all those amazing things in Egypt, all those the miraculous works of God, and he gets into the wilderness, and he's like, you know what, I think death is better than this. And so what does God do? And it's this weird story that he gives us in Scripture that you're kind of wondering, like, why it's there. Well, I know what's, why it's there. Numbers eleven seventeen. I will come down, and I will speak with you. And God's like, okay, this is getting serious. I'm gonna have, we're going to have to come have a meeting and this is what we're going to do. I'm going to take some of the power of the Spirit. Remember, they always show up together. That is on you, and I'm going to put it on them. And he's talking about 70 guys that are going to help you administrate life and do your work. So literally, Moses was doing the job of 71 people. God says, I'm, in fact, they all needed to be empowered with the Spirit to do that job. That's wild. But the Spirit does stuff. That's what the Spirit does. He goes, so you will not have to carry the work alone. Judges 14, verse 6. This is Samson. Samson's an interesting character. Rarely a good guy. Mostly not a good guy. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring toward Samson. And his parents were with him. They were a little bit ahead of him. Verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. His bare hands. That's crazy, right? 
And the, the text actually goes on to give us this really unhelpful comparison where it says, you know how it is, like when you tear apart a young goat with your bare hands. That's what the text said. And we're like, no, no, I did not grow up on a farm. I don't know what they do out there, but I like to buy my meat prepackaged from the grocery store. But the Spirit does stuff. The Spirit does stuff. First Samuel 16, 3. David was a kid. Uh, you, remember, you remember the story, right? Saul is just messing up his king, and God says, we got to get a new king. Uh, the new king is going to come from this particular family. Samuel, you go find him and anoint him. So Samuel goes, and he's like, this guy looks good. Nice resume. I like everything about him. And God's like, no, not that guy. Well, how about his younger brother? He's pretty good. And they keep going on down the list of younger brothers and nobody works out. And Samuel's like, is, so is this it? I'm not sensing God telling me any of these is the king. And then they were like, well, yeah, the youngest, David, he's in the field. You know how youngest siblings are. I mean, there's no way that you want him to be king. And Samuel's like, probably not, but at least bring him in. That's the one. That's the guy. And it says that Samuel anointed him, and then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Well, then what happened to David after this? Like, David and Goliath, everybody knows that story. That's the Spirit of God doing stuff. See, here's the thing. The God doesn't give us a spirit that does nothing. God doesn't give us a spirit that just is like, okay, I'm going to preside over ceremonial pomp and circumstance like the Queen of England. I'm going to have some official titles and you're going to pay me lots of money, but I'm not really going to do anything. God doesn't give us a spirit that powerfully does nothing. We, we glanced at this power concept last week, so if you weren't here, this is kind of an addendum to that. But back two chapters earlier in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, uh, it talks about here's the result of the Spirit. This is the thing we should be, you know, understanding how blessed we are in God because of His incomparably great power for us who believe. All right, okay, good. Power. Power. What does that mean? Because, I, I mean, I have to do laundry. You know, I have to, like, you know, I have to help my kids with their homework. I have to shovel my driveway. What does it mean for the Spirit to do stuff in my life? What, is, what does that mean? Like, it, it, it's so nebulous as to kind of be meaningless in a lot of ways, and we just kind of wander off and just live our lives. What does it mean? Uh, a couple of days ago, I was asking my daughter if I could help her with her homework, and uh, I was praying that she would say no, because I don't know most of what she's doing. I don't know how to do most of what she's doing. And uh, she, she was, she was okay, what are, you, what are you working on right now? And she goes, well, you know, we're working on trigonometry. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I am, I'm already lost. I don't know, I know nothing about trigonometry. Zero. I barely know how to pronounce it, and I know it's a complex thing. And so she's, she's like frustrated, you know, with her trigonometry homework. And she says the thing that every human being that has gone to school has ever said what good will this ever do? What good will this ever do? And I'm like be, trying to be a good dad, and I'm like, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> no clue. So I did, I think what every probably uh, ignorant good dad would do is <laughs> I, I Google, what does trigonometry do? <laughs> I literally Google that, that phrase. Well, it pops this article. And, and the first article is what trigonometry is good for. And I'm like, this is great. This is exactly what I'm trying to learn so I can relate to my daughter. Here's what it does. So I read the article. Guess what trigonometry does? Everything. 
Everything that you interact with on a daily basis is a result of trigonometry. Did you know that? I did not know that. I had a guy come up to me after the service and he said, when you started talking about trigonometry, I started getting excited. And I was like, well, you were the only one. Everybody else fell asleep right at that point. Get excited. Yeah, so this article says, yeah, they use trigonometry to build bridges. That's cool. Did you know that? Build bridges. And and that's cool. I've driven across bridges, so I'm glad that people get trigonometry. Uh, They also use trigonometry to, like, perfect the sound of musical instruments because, like, the curve of the horn of the trumpet or the, you know, the the hollow of the acoustic guitar, that's all trigonometry. And so when you strum that guitar or when you listen to music where a guitar is strummed, you are listening to trigonometry in action. Isn't that cool? That's kind of cool. When you drive on bridges and listen to music, that's trigonometry. Trigonometry is also the reason that you're not standing here naked because, or sitting there naked, because trigonometry is used to cut clothes in the right shape so that they can be sewn together and then go around these funny shaped bodies that we have. That's trigonometry. And I'm like, that is wild. Trigonometry does everything. And so, you know, I'm excited for my daughter. Like, hey, guess what? I know what trigonometry does now, right? Okay, yes. I still don't understand, uh, you know, a single, like, equation of trigonometry. But now I'm beginning to get a glimpse of the reality that trigonometry introduces into the world, right? I have the faintest, foggiest notion of trigonometry. So when we're talking about power, we're like, okay, what does the power do? Like, this is as good as trigonometry for me. Well, Paul gets that we don't get it. And so he helps us put like, like foundations down in this concept of what does it mean? What does power mean? And so he goes in this next verse. This is still chapter one. Text is chapter three, but we jump back to chapter one. In the second part of this verse, he says that power is the same. This is cool. That power is the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And so when we're, when we're sitting there thinking like power, what does it do? Like, oh, what does this mean? Was it, you know, I got, you know, normal everyday to-do list. And he's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. That power that I'm talking about that is a result of the Spirit is the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. So you're saying that that power, that's the same that, that you're saying is in me? So when I think about, like, think about this. Jesus... You know, we read the story of Jesus, we read the Gospels. I mean, it's a wild story, and I'm really stealing my thunder for Easter, so I hope you come back on April 4th, because we're going to talk about some of this stuff then too. But Jesus was dead and cold on a, like a stone slab in a dark tomb. Just dead. Dead. Have you ever, have you ever been around a dead body? It's, it's, it's strange, because you almost expect something to happen, because we, when we take people to the funeral home, they try to make that person look like they're not dead, and so they put the right clothes on them, and the makeup on them, to make it look like there's life in their cheeks and blood in their veins, but there's not. So Jesus is dead. There's no blood coursing through his veins. The heart is not beating. His lungs are not filling with breath. It's lifeless. There's no synapses firing in his mind. There's nothing. Dead. And somehow, we don't know, 
through the power of the Spirit, the, that, I don't know, did the heart begin to beat again? Did blood begin to throw, flow through his veins? Did, did synapses begin to fire? Did, did he take a breath? Did, did, did he, his eyes flutter open? But we know this happened, and we know he sat up, and we know somehow that tombstone rolled away, and he walked out, and he talked with people. He got up out of the coffin, and he like ate lunch with people. I mean, that's mind-boggling. That's unbelievable. And Paul is making the claim that it's the same power that is in you. Like, what? That's unbelievable to just begin. I, like what Van was talking about his communion. I just begin to have the faintest, foggiest notion of what that could mean because it's un, unbelievable. That power, that spirit is in you. And then Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, which we totally skipped over, we went from 1 to 3. I mean, what does 2 have to say? In Ephesians 2, he says, this spirit worked powerfully in you. It already has worked in you. What do you mean? I mean, I have never died and risen from the grave. I've never had a cool dream like Steve talked about a few weeks ago. I mean, what are you talking about? The Spirit has already worked powerfully in me. Check this out. This is so cool because he says in Ephesians 2.5 that he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So that's kind of a fancy way of saying that you, as a spiritual being, you were dead and cold on a stone slab. There was no spark of light in you. You cared not for the things of God, right? Like they might have used to, to say. You didn't, God, you're like, whatever. Uh, who cares? I don't, doesn't matter. It's, I got other things I need to do. You were dead on a slab, spiritually dead. I'm always trying to get my kids to uh, seize the day. You know what I mean? I don't know if you do that with your kids. Like, do you ever feel like, oh man, they just, you know, watched Netflix and played video games all day. I'm a terrible parent. But so I'm always like, there's this desire in me for them to enjoy life. We've only got so many days. You need to enjoy life. So uh, our, our uh, window looking, looking uh, to the west. Yeah. I don't know. Wherever the sun sets, west. Uh, you can see the sunset from this window where you do your dishes. So, you know, I'm putting dishes away. Sun is setting, and it's just beautiful, right? Beautiful doing dishes. And I'm like, kids, come here. You need to see this sunset. And then they're sitting on the couch looking at their phones, and no, some of them, one of them in particular, who shall rename nameless, remain nameless, they said, uh, they said this phrase to me. They're like, Dad. And because I do this all the time, so they get a little burnt out of it, you know? They're like, Dad. We have seen a sunset before. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have not seen this sunset. This is a one-night-only premiere. There is only one show happening here, and this show will never happen again. And they're like, oh, whatever. And so they, like, begrudgingly come over. Very nice sunset, you know, blah, blah, black, back over to here. That's what, they, that's what they do. Or I'll do things like, children, dear children, it is snowing outside. Look at those beautiful sunflakes that are falling down from the sky. I don't actually talk like that, but that's the general gist. And my kids are like, Dad, it is winter in Minnesota. We've seen snow. Like, how about we seize less of the day, Dad? Don't get so excited. On my tombstone, they're going to put, I firmly believe, like, hey, you guys, you should really get out and enjoy this weather because I say it about every type of weather. It doesn't matter if it's a million degrees. I'm like, kids, it's the last day. It's going to be over 100. You really should get out there and experience it. Kids, this, 
this 20 degree weather is coming to an end. You should get out there and experience it. That's what they're going to put on my tombstone. You should really go outside and enjoy this weather. But they're deaf ears, right? They're brick walls. And God is saying through Paul, he's saying you were deaf ears. You were brick walls. But through the power of the Spirit, there was a, the tiniest little spark the tiniest little ideation of some reality beyond just this thing that we see every day and you have been drawn to it. Even if that flame isn't very, very uh, hot yet, you have been drawn to it. And think about this. You are in this room because there is some spiritual life and desire within you that exists in you. That's unbelievable to think about, that God has, God has created that. And some of you are like, well, I'm kind of out of here, you know, here by inertia. I've just been coming to church all my life, and this is just what you do. Yeah, but that's still, it's still in there. He's already done this miracle in you. He did this miracle in Christ. Wow, same power. But he's already done it in you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, and he <laughs> raised you back to life. It's unbelievable. The fact that you are here is the Spirit. The fact that I'm here is the Spirit. Now, there's much more life to be had because some of us are still mostly dead. But there's life, there's spark. So back to chapter 3. Paul writes, I pray. This is his prayer, verse 16. He, this is the middle of the thought we just, we, we were exploring a minute ago. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner self with power. God is wanting you to have that power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power that raised you out of like whatever lifelessness, spiritual lifelessness you had. He wants that to be in you. Well, Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, well, I've been coming to church for a long time. I kind of already thought Christ was living in me. True, but we can go way deeper. The, 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 the reality of that concept has not settled deeply in our hearts yet. There's more. We're just slightly alive. Have you ever thought, I, you know, I generally get it with Christianity. Read the Bible. Generally get the gist. You know, my dad... My dad was a missionary. My dad was a preacher. My uncle was a preacher. I grew up in the church. I generally get it. Have you ever thought that? I've thought that. I'm such an idiot. I don't even, I don't generally get it. I get a fraction of a tiny percentage get it. There's so much more to know, and Paul understands that, and which is why he prays this. Because we think, yeah, Jesus loves me. What's next? What's on Facebook? You know, oh yeah, cool. Spirit is in me. Power of God is within me. Awesome. What are we having for lunch? And we're just like, God's got to be like, are you kidding me? Are you, do you not know what we're talking about here? There's so much more to explore. Look at verse 17. And he says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in this love that Christ has for you, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know, check this out, this is crazy, and to know the love of Christ which you cannot know. It surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Van, Van, I did not tell Van what to talk in his communion talk. That was the Spirit telling Van, here, you should say this because it's going to go really well with the sermon. Or maybe it was God telling me, Patrick, you should say this because it's going to go really well with the communion talk. But when Van was sitting there thinking about, like, I, my mind is boggled when I think about the fact that there are trillions of stars. Mathematicians had to create words to describe how many stars there are. And Van says, when I think about that, I'm just overwhelmed because I begin to see the faintest glimpse of that reality. Paul's saying, if you could just pause 
and think about the reality of the power of God in you, if you could just begin to grasp the faintest light of that truth, you would be filled to all the fullness of God. And the thing is, we just don't ever stop and do that. We've got notifications on our phone to tend to. We've got Facebook arguments to have with people. We've got things to be angry about. We've got politics to be upset about. We don't stop and we don't think about the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead through the power and presence of the Spirit. And then he said, everybody gets the Spirit. You get the Spirit. Everybody gets the Spirit and it's living in us and creating power in us. That's unbelievable. What an what a idea. The vastness, the grandness, the depth of this. It's the spiritual equivalent. To think about this whole concept is the spiritual equivalent of taking a moment and looking at the night sky and seeing the stars and being filled with the fullness of God. This, uh, this idea is so big, there's a danger of it being meaningless. And, and so let me, just, uh, let me just admonish, to use a Bible word, some of you here, because some of you are like, yeah, okay, sure, cool. I've heard that before. Jesus loves me, this I know, yada, yada, yada. I get it. God has a plan for my life. He loves me. That's great. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to Chipotle for lunch. Let's just do our thing, you know. Um, last winter, we were having one of these cold snaps like we do here every once in a while. Uh, it was 20 below, something like that. It was, it was cold. Um, and <laughs> I, I love like all the new technology gadgets that they come out because the, there, somebody will have like invented a thing and they're like, yeah, now you can, you know, your thermostat can be smart and you can, you can change the thermostat with your phone and it, it can sense when you're in a room and it can change the, I love that kind of stuff. That stuff is so cool. It feels like I'm, you know, living in the Jetsons or some sort of magical wonderland. So I got this uh, smart thermostat put it in. It's cool. Super cool. Like, you know, thermostat knows when I'm there, adjusts the temperature. Love it. Smart thermostat has one little, little teeny tiny flaw. If it gets too cold outside, it stops working. So the, the only problem, it's great unless the weather is trying to murder you and then it doesn't do anything. It cannot, it no longer can protect you. And so, you know, it was probably nine or 10 o'clock at night and I'm like, oh, it's a little chilly in the house. Well, What's going on? This is weird. Go to my smart thermostat and well, I actually open up my app and my app doesn't say anything and I'm like, oh, what's going on? So I have to actually walk to my thermostat, the horror, and look at the thermostat and it says, you know, I'm not working right now. And I'm like, oh, great. What do I do? And so I look up, you know, I Google it because that's what I do to try to solve problems. And, uh, and, and it says, oh yeah, this thermostat's great unless it gets too cold. And I'm like, oh, why in the world? That's, that's the craziest thing. And so I turned on our stove, we have a gas fireplace, turned that on, you know, and it kept the temperature in the house to about, I don't know, like 55 degrees. But I couldn't sleep, you know, I was stressed out, I was checking on the kids, making sure everybody was still alive, you know, all night. And I was like, great, you know, thermostat's not working. Next day, go to Home Depot and I get a dumb thermostat. And I buy the dumb thermostat and I put it on the wall and I'm like, okay, great, you know, we'll make this, this will be great, this will work, and nothing. And I'm like, oh no, oh no. The furnace is broken. I've tried everything else. It's the furnace. So I go down to the furnace and I open up the little thing and I look at the inner workings of the furnace as if I have any idea, but it's all trigonometry to me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about this. I don't know what to do. 
Um, so I, I think, well, it mu- what must be, the furnace must be broken. And I, I can't, I don't have enough money to fix it. And I don't have enough money for a new furnace. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? We go to bed that night. House is like 50 degrees. I'm waking up, checking on the kids, feeling their cheeks. Are they you know, hypothermia? Has that set in yet? And I'm stressed. Like, what are we going to do? Pipes are going to burst. You know, that whole thing. I, I've done everything. I've tried everything. People are going to freeze. Temperatures are dropping. So we made it through another night. And that, that morning, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just one last Hail Mary, last ditch, Maybe miraculous, this could work. Maybe I'll call someone and see if they can help me, you know. Last resort. I mean, I've literally, isn't this crazy as a, as, a, as a male human? We'd almost rather let our family freeze to death than ask somebody for help. So I, I called Nick Mayer, and I said, Nick, we're going to die over here. you got to come help us. And so he came right over. I don't know. I don't know if it was after work, lunch hour. I don't know. He came right over. And Nick does, uh, he does electrician's work. He doesn't want you calling him this afternoon to ask for help, by the way. I, I don't know if he does or not, but I'm just telling you that. And, he, and so he came over and he's looking at the furnace. He calls a buddy who knows more about furnaces. And he's like, everything looks great. Everything looks great. And he says, well, should we check the dumb thermostat upstairs? And I'm like, no, uh, I, it's not the dumb thermostat. I put the dumb thermostat in. There's no way... That's the problem. That cannot be the problem, Nick. Stop suggesting it's the problem, Nick. Are you challenging my masculinity? No, I didn't quite say that. But it was kind of the, the, the moral equivalent of like, okay, Patrick, is it plugged in? Of course it's plugged in, Nick, but fine if you want to go check it. I'm exaggerating a little for effect. And so he goes up to my dumb thermostat and he pulls it off the wall and he looks at it. He's like, oh, here's your problem. Plugged it back in. Furnace is on. Heat's coming. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, at, at first, it would have been more like affirming to, for our family to freeze to death than it would be to have to admit that the power was there all along and I just wasn't accessing it. Some of us are slowly, spiritually freezing to death. The power of the Spirit of God wants to do stuff in your life. He wants to do stuff in you. He wants to work in you. He wants to change you. And you have had that power all along. I mean, think of the things that your, your brain tells yourself. Think about this. The things, listen, the things that Jesus has said, here's what I, w- I expect from people who follow me. And then the things that voice in your head tells you. I will never be able to overcome that sin. I will never be able to forgive that person. I I will never be able to truly reconcile with my spouse. So instead, I'm just going to settle for like a cold, distant, mildly hostile marriage. I will never be able to get out of debt. I will never be able to confess that sin to anyone. I will take that to my grave. I could never talk to a friend or a neighbor about Jesus. I could never overcome this struggle with worry. I could never get out of that unhealthy relationship. I have tried everything. I do not have the power to do it. And God is saying, yes, you do, because I've given it to you. You're not accessing it. You're gonna, you'd rather freeze to death Then live through the power of the Spirit. Look at what he says in Ephesians 3.20. Listen to this. Just just listen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. 
Some of you have even had the thought, I have exercised every ounce of self-control and willpower to overcome that struggle. Well, do you know what one of the fruit of the Spirit is? Self-control. The Spirit, the power, the presence of God living in you. We're going to read Ephesians 3.14 again, and we're going to read it as a closing prayer. Because I, I hope my prayer is that some of us will be hit by the truck of the Spirit today, and it will redirect our lives. We're going in the wrong direction, and the Spirit is going to intervene. We have that power. So... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Ephesians 3, and I'm going to read it as the closing prayer. I'm not going to say, okay, now let's close. And it's going to feel awkward because I'm just going to say, and we're done, or leave, or whatever, at the end of this prayer. But this is our prayer. This is, the, this is for the Woodbury Church of Christ on February 21st, 2021. This is for us. This, isn't, this is for all Christians everywhere, but listen, this is for us. We're about, hopefully... Hopefully, forget hope. We will. We are about to check the wiring on the dumb thermostat so that we have heat in the house. This is what we're about to do. So I just want you to be ready for that. Ephesians 3. Let's read. I'm going to read this. You can close your eyes. You can leave them open. You can whatever. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all fullness, all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go with the Spirit.